I have got a lot to share with you this morning, but maybe something I really need to say is, I love you. I really do. So good morning, Woodland. I love you. I'm so glad you're here today. Let's give him another hand of praise, would you? Come on, Victory. Hallelujah. And those of you online, I love you too. Thanks so much for being here. We count you as a part of our family. You email us for prayer on Saturday nights. Many of you are contributing and helping support the ministries of Woodland Church financially. And numbers of you have sent emails that I've been able to talk with. Thank you for being a part of our Woodland family. We're delighted you're here. Well, today, I have a lot to share with you, and I don't know that I've ever in... All the years I've been your pastor just really preached on this subject before. I've talked about it. We've mentioned it. We've prayed about it. But I want to talk to you about what happens when you're faithful and you're persecuted. What happens when you're faithful to Christ and you're living for Christ? And here in America, we just, I just need to say this right out front because I was talking to my wife earlier this week. We in America do not experience persecution. I've been to the parts of the world where they do experience persecution. Now, we experience pressure to conform. We experience oppression. Sometimes we experience, even as we saw during the COVID crisis, where governments try to prevent churches from meeting. If a church decides not to meet in the United States, or Canada, that is their legal right to decide not to meet, but it's not the government's prerogative to step in and tell the church when they can or they cannot meet. Our Constitution guarantees us that. And so when that happens, we watched something last year amazing. We have legal recourse when we're denied our freedom to worship. We have legal recourse when we're denied our freedom to assemble and to gather. And so we can go go to court. We can hire lawyers, people to defend us. And as we saw this year, the Supreme Court actually struck down what a number of local and state governments were trying to do. I'm so thankful that in the state of Michigan, that did not happen. We were able to express why we believe it's our right, why it's biblical, and why we gathered the way we gathered when we began gathering again to worship. And so we have legal recourse, but in many of the nations of the world, nothing like this exists. As a matter of fact, in the overwhelming parts of the world, nothing like this exists. And if you look around us this morning, and part of this came about because of someone that worships with us online, that's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and began an email dialogue with me, and, and I appreciate the fact that if you're watching this morning, that you're a person of color, trusting uh, I almost said an old, but I refuse to say that. A 66-year-old white man to be able to speak to you and talk to you because they said, you know, isn't Christianity, isn't that a white man's way of oppressing people around the world? Or can we trust the Bible? And absolutely, we can trust the Bible. Here's one of the things that I want to share with us as a congregation. The overwhelming majority of believers and passionate followers of Jesus Christ in this world are not white. The overwhelming majority of believers are our brothers and sisters that are people of color. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? That's just a powerful statement in and of itself. The overwhelming majority of people that are being persecuted for their faith 
And they're not out in the streets lying down. They're not out in the streets burning buildings. They're not out in the streets starting wars. But they are people of color who live in foreign lands. As I have talked to some of their families, as they have watched their their dads murdered, as they've watched their brothers murdered, their mothers raped and then killed, and then their daughters sold into human trafficking, sexual slavery, or sometimes given away as brides to the soldiers or the terrorists that come into that. And so you and I here in America, we need to understand persecution and we need to understand oppression and pressure to conform when that comes our way. But we also need to have a fresh burden and a fresh vision and a fresh love and a fresh appreciation for our brothers and sisters around the world who were being persecuted, murdered, their homes taken, their businesses destroyed, their churches destroyed, all because they have gone after God the way some of you have gone after God this morning. And I am so thankful for them. I was invited to go into another one of these countries and to preach, and I turned down the opportunity to go preach, and I said, I will go if I can sit at their feet and learn and have conversation because I don't know what I have to say to them because I've never paid the price that they have paid for their faith. So with that in mind, would you stand with me this morning, and let's go to the Word of God. We stand out of respect for the Word of the Lord. This is what you must write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. I am the first and the last. I died, but now I am alive. Listen to what I say. I know how much you suffer and how poor you are, but you are rich. Say that with me. You are rich. That's what the Lord is saying to our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. And by the way, he will talk to a church that says, we are rich and have need of nothing. And he says, you don't realize you are poor and you are wretched and you are blind. So let us never be mistaken that because we live in a nation of affluence, that we don't need God. Perhaps we need God more than our brothers and sisters around the world who are willing to give their lives for him. Lest our souls perish for eternity. So the Lord says, you are rich, and I also know the cruel things being said about you by people who claim to be God's people, but they are really not. They are a group that belongs to Satan. Now, they were religious people. They were people who claimed to worship Yahweh. They were people who claimed to worship the same God they did. And the Lord says about them, because they speak religious, because they talk religious, because they look religious, They do not belong to me, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Don't worry about what you will suffer, for the devil will throw some of you into jail, and you will be tested and made to suffer for 10 days. But if you are faithful until you die, I will reward you with a glorious life. Wow. Can you imagine if that was all I had to say to us this morning? And we walked out of this church knowing that cruel things were going to happen to us like some of our brothers and sisters in the world. They read this and they know the moment we come out of hiding, our house church in China, our underground church in Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. And it's happened, look at me, it's happening today. It's happening right now. All 
of the atrocities and the horrors that I just described to you are happening. The Bible says, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, notice the qualifier. Doesn't say that every Christian is going to suffer persecution. It says that everyone who lives a godly life, the people who want to go after God, the people who want to go after God more than just a symbol in this building and go after God, but in their everyday life, they want to go after God and be like Jesus Christ. They want to live a godly life. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Our Father, I am asking you in the holy name of Jesus to take these frail words from this frail man who has never had to suffer, Lord, like my brothers and sisters who are rich. I pray, Lord, with trembling in my heart and soul, I pray, Lord, lest I be poor and wretched and blind. Lord, I ask you this morning that my heart will be so set on going after you that no matter what the cost to be a passionate follower of your son, Jesus Christ, that that's how I and this wonderful congregation that you've given me to pastor, Lord, you will, Lord, give us that heart. Nothing matters to us more than Jesus Christ. For it's in your holy name I pray, amen, amen, and amen. Would you look at your brother or sister, give them a fist bump, shake hands if you're comfortable with that, and tell them, God bless you, I'm glad you're here this morning. Would you do that right now? You're telling them, I'm so glad you came to hear about how you might get beat up for Jesus. I don't know if any of you are following on Facebook, but yesterday we had another one of our students become a doctor, and Dr. Gilreath had the opportunity to put the white coat on his son Noah yesterday. Let's give Noah a big hand for that in Massachusetts. <clears throat> you guys can be seated. You can be seated. Dorothy Sayers, who I've read a lot by, was a godly woman, prolific writer. She said, I believe it is a grave mistake to present Christianity as something charming and popular with no offense in it. That's a statement that I wrote down and pondered and thought about. Because honestly, when I gave my heart to Jesus years ago, as I should have been and as every young person should be, people in the church affirmed you. Growing up on the buckle of the Bible belt, even people who didn't go to church affirmed you that you'd become a Christian. I remember my boss at Piggly Wiggly calling me in one time and saying, I know I can trust you. You're a Christian. And he gave me several responsibilities way beyond my capabilities at that time and trained me how to do them. My boss, Tank, was not a Christian. But boy, we used to have some interesting conversations. I worked for a psychiatrist, and as I worked for him, I, he wasn't a Christian, but he shared a lot of my beliefs, and he affirmed me for being a Christian. He affirmed my faith. He even affirmed my faith in the supernatural that God still did miracles today. We had many wonderful conversations, and yet there were times where there would be that that look, or when the door was closed, and I'd see it on his face and the others in the room, and I'd just catch that glimpse of it that when I shut the door, I knew what was being said, and that was, 
you know, he'd really be really good at this if he could just give up some of that Christian stuff that he believes in. He'd really, really go somewhere in this if he just wouldn't be so adamant about telling other people about what Jesus could do for him. I got to be honest with you, I expected that. So it didn't trouble me, it didn't bother me, it just had me praying for my friends that I worked with. Through the years, I've discovered there are three main sources of persecution. Number one is the devil. The devil unleashes his fury upon the body of Christ, Satan, as the Bible calls him. He inspires people. I believe that some of the oppression that we've experienced in this nation to conform, to give up meeting together as, as our custom is, as the Bible says we should do, I believe that Satan has been behind a lot of that. I'm not calling a politician. I'm not calling a mayor, the devil. I'm just saying that oftentimes, because the Bible says they're blinded, they don't even know what's manipulating them behind the scenes. The second thing is hypocrites. People who claim to be Christians, they act like Christians, they, they wear all the right clothes, they wear all the right symbols, but they deny that the Bible is the Word of God. They're in our community. They deny that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. They're in our community. They say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, and they say that he really did not rise from the dead. But what we have is a collection of stories and examples to live by. And yet they have crosses, and they sing hymns, and they go through the religious things, and they have conformed to the ways of this world. They have given in to the pressures of the ways of this world. And these are the people that Jesus talks about. They're nice people. They're people that you enjoy meeting. They're honestly, some of them are very honest people. But they're just denying who Christ is. And they would say, as they did in those early days of the church, just say that Caesar is Lord. Don't say that Jesus is God and everything will be okay. There are some things as Christians we are not permitted to do. We must make our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and there's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to be jerks about that. We don't have to be idiots about that. We don't have to be our noses turned up and act as though we're holier than thou or better than other people. We are not. We are all sinners saved by grace. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner saved by grace this morning. But say it politely. The Bible says, now look at me, look at me. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Isn't that what the Bible says? We've all fallen short. Now look at your neighbor and say, you've got fallen shorts. We've all fallen short. We fell short of the glory of God. My wife would tell you, says, he fell real short of the glory of God. So we don't look at people down our noses. And then there are people that are just enemies of the gospel. 
They despise everything. There are comedians, then there are actors. There are professors who wait for your children to get to class, and they have specially designed curricula. They have specially designed how they're going to make presentations. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Because I've helped establish over 20 university campus ministries in my lifetime. I've been on those campuses. I've met these professors, and they, they wait for that time when a professor will say, well, why do you believe that? And some eager young Christian student will say, because the Bible says so. And then that professor jumps on that. He jumps on that because he's been waiting for that time to try and dismantle the faith of the believers. George McLeod in Leadership Magazine wrote, the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there's nothing very much to persecute it about. When I was a teenager, there was a song out, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Any of you ever hear that song? Then you're in your 60s as well. <laughs> if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? By the way, for those of you that are all rock and roll fans, and sometimes songs just seem to come back to mind. This wasn't even in my manuscript, but it just came to mind. If you remember an old song called Alley, oop, 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 do any of you remember that? Now you are old. He wrote that song. He wrote, he wrote the one I'm talking about after he became a Christian. But he wrote that song. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there something about our life that people would want to persecute us for it? You see what? God gives us the power to live with, and that's why I love the book of Revelation so much in the Bible, is God gives us the power to discern and to defeat and to dwell eternally. God gives us the power to discern the work of the evil. That way we don't make a politician our enemy. We don't make a professor our enemy. We don't make our neighbor our enemy. We don't even make another religion our enemy. We just understand what the power and the force behind it is. For the Bible says we don't wrestle against human flesh and blood. Instead, we wrestle against principalities and powers. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say, now follow me carefully, Jesus would say, bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Do good to your enemies. Be kind to your enemies. Help your enemies. Don't ask God to destroy them because if God destroys them, they will perish eternally. But seek to be like the Apostle Paul that even though he was in chains for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, members of the Praetorian Guard became Christians. Members of Caesar's household became Christians. Our brothers and sisters that are in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ today, they are advancing the gospel forcefully. They are advancing the gospel powerfully. They ask us not to weep for them. They are weeping for us because they don't see the passion in us that's willing to suffer for Christ. And I'm telling you, they have told me with tears in my, their eyes, I'm praying for you in America. I'm praying for the church in America because they don't see the evidence, as McLeod said, to persecute us. Well, from what we read from the Bible this morning, there are some things I want you to take away. Number one, Jesus knows what I'm facing. He knows what you're facing. He knows your enemies. He knows the trials and the persecutions that are coming your way. I know about your suffering and your poverty. 
God has not forsaken you if you're experiencing pressure to conform. God has not forsaken you if, if you're being persecuted today. Number two, Jesus knows my persecutors. He not only knows my persecutors, but he loves my persecutors. And he's just waiting for the right time and the right moment to knock the soul of Tarsus off his donkey. I had to be real careful years ago because in the King James Version, it said Saul was riding the King James Version for the word donkey was ass. And I said in a youth service that Jesus knocked Saul off his ass. And I lost the whole youth service that day. So I'm glad for an updated version of the Bible. But God is going to knock some of your persecutors on their bottoms. Notice what I said there. He's going to knock some of them on their back ends because you've been faithful to bless them and not curse them. You've been faithful to be kind to them. You've been faithful to pray for them. He knows your persecutors. I know the blasphemy of those who are opposing you. I love what Justin Anton Scalia, I miss him. I miss his voice. I miss his humor. I miss his laughter. But Justice Scalia was speaking to a group of men who professed faith in Christ, and he said, God assumed from the beginning that the wise, and by the way, I tried to rehearse this with his voice, and it was awful. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this, have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Oh boy, how I wish I had known, I'd heard that from Justice Scalia years ago when I was always so worried about what people thought. I wanted to, 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 to somehow or another be able to, to say to the wise of this world, but I realized it's not the wisdom that I bring, but it is the power of God at work in our lives and our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I am not against education. As a matter of fact, I am all for education. But hear me, beloved, this morning. What's going to reach our persecutors, what's going to reach those who want to pressure us to conform to the ways of this world is not more degrees behind our name, but it's the power and the love of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So Jesus says to me then, do not be afraid. Don't fear them. Don't fear those who have the power, Jesus said, to destroy the body, but they can't destroy the soul. Rather, fear him who has the power to destroy the soul. Oh, your body's precious. I got to tell you, your body's precious. You believe that because all of us look as though we're taking pretty good care of ourselves. But that body is precious and it's important. And as I remind people at funerals all the time, is one day Jesus is going to raise that body from the dead. And it's going to be restored. It's going to be like Christ. So 
So Jesus who suffered for our faith, Jesus who was scourged, beaten with the 39 stripes, had the crown of thorns beaten upon his head, slapped, mocked, spit upon, Jesus who was crucified naked and nailed to a tree, he could say, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. And the credibility was there. The example was there. They knew this was coming from one who had suffered for them and who is now calling upon them to be willing to suffer for him. For he says in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Circle that word in your outline this morning. Confidence, living confidently for Christ, living powerfully for Christ. It's what I meant when I said to those who said, would you come and preach and teach? No, let me come and learn. Let me sit at the feet of those who gave up their homes. Let me sit at the feet of those who watched their family slaughtered before their eyes. Let me sit at the feet of those who said to their children, don't run. Be willing to lay down your lives for Christ. He laid down his life for you. Let me sit at the feet of those who've had their backs broken or hidden away in China. Not just thousands and not just hundreds of thousands, but according to the International Religion Freedom Coalition in Washington, D.C., who lobbies before Congress, says that there's perhaps millions of our brothers and sisters hidden away in prisons in China today. For those in the Middle East and Afghanistan, assemblies of God brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters of other denominations that are being hunted down and murdered by the Taliban, while everybody tells us it's a new Taliban. It is the same power of hell behind the same evil people who want to seek and destroy those who live for Christ. Do not be lulled into sleeplessness and do not be lulled into complacency, but understand we may suffer oppression, but we are not suffering persecution. And these brothers and sisters have the confidence of their faith do you have the confidence to pray over your meal in public or do you worry about what they might say in the break room or the lunchroom? Do you have the confidence to speak up for Jesus in your vocation, in your career? Or are you worried about it might somehow another cost you? So Jesus tells me, be faithful. Be faithful to me. If you're suffering, don't give up your faith, but be faithful. You must remain faithful even when facing death. Wow. Let me come back because I know this is heavy. But let me come back for just a moment. As I was praying this morning, a passage of scripture that came to mind that I want to share with you. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll just kind of quote it to you. But 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says... Some of you, you grew up in homes and you grew up in lives where you participated and then he goes through a list of things that even in America we frown upon. Now, as I thought about that and was praying this morning, some of us grew up in homes 
that were Christian homes, like you're trying to raise your children. They've never been exposed to some of the things that the apostle writes about you here. But he's writing to a church that some of them came from homes where they participated in all kinds of wickedness and evil. It makes me think of the Proverbs who compares the paths of the righteous that lead to life and the paths of the wicked that lead to death. It makes me think of Psalms that compares the paths of wickedness and the paths that lead to death. We've sought to raise our children where they would not be exposed. We've monitored what's on our television channels. We have software on our computers and our devices to protect our children. We, we've wanted to protect them from that. But Peter writes, he says, now some of you in my congregation, you came out of that life. And I realize that in this congregation, some of us came out of that life. Some of us came out of those lifestyles of things that you never want your children exposed to. You were exposed to things. Here's what he's saying. So do not be surprised when the life that you came out of that you used to participate in when those very people, they slander you now because you don't. You say, how does that apply to us today, Pastor? Well, maybe you have a partner in business that says, what's wrong with you? We always used to do this on April 15th, and now you, you're honest with your taxes. You're honest with your returns. You're honest with the business forms that you're filing, and they're looking at you, what's wrong with you? Are they talking about you in the break room? And they say, you used to laugh and talk about women the same way we talk about women now, but now you want to honor women. You want to respect them, and you want to speak kindly of them, and you, you wish you had never participated, but now your friends slander you, and they say, you think you're better than other people. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we battle against and Jesus says, don't be afraid of people who are trying to pressure you to conform. Be faithful. I know what you're going through. But remember this morning that what you're facing for being mocked, for not participating in the things of this world that you once used to participate in, you have brothers and sisters today that are giving their lives for saying Jesus Christ is Lord. So how can we begin to compare? Jewish rabbi that I've been introduced to wrote these words in a huge swath of territory from Nigeria east and north to Iran and Pakistan. Millions of Christians live in fear of losing their property or their lives simply because they are Christians. In the Assyrian Triangle of Iraq, the campaign of church burning, clergy killing, and terror has all but decimated the historically oldest Christian communities. The rabbi agrees with the Pope Benedict's view we might have to part with the notion of a popular church. It is possible that we are on the verge of a new era in which the church will continue only in the form of small and seemingly insignificant groups which will yet oppose evil with all their strength and bring good news into this world. Rabbi Yitzchik Augustine, listen to me this morning. Those of you who participate in our small groups, and every one of you should be in a small group, hear me this morning. If the time of persecution was ever to come to America and we were not allowed to assemble the way we are now, our small group ministry would be more important than ever. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for connections and for our small group ministry? So, Pastor, what do we do with this this morning? Well, in the few minutes that I have left, and I can never believe our clock runs fast. I know that's not the correct time. 
Would you look at what Pastor Warren Wiersbe said? Realism is idealism, idealism that has been through the fire and got purified. Cynicism is idealism that has been through the fire and got burned. Now, the reason I saved that quote was not about persecution, but, honey, you'll remember years ago, I was preaching when I was still very young, just before Becky and I got married, and I was preaching in a church, and this church was filled with retired pastors. It was in a community where a lot of retired pastors lived, and after the service, one of the older gentlemen of the congregation came up to me, and he said, now, son, don't you love it when they call you son and you're <laughs> trying to get started? He goes, now, son, let me tell you something. You're a fine preacher. You're a good preacher, but I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for your ministry. And I said, why? He says, because you ain't been through the fire yet. You see, the fire is what purifies idealism and then helps you to face the reality. So here's what I would say to you for your growth work this morning. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted for your faith. Dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire. Number two, don't be ashamed of Jesus. For it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Don't be ashamed of Jesus ever. It might mean if you're a student being willing to and I know we don't carry these like we used to carry them, but it might be willing, if you're a student, to participate in a Christian campus ministry like Chi Alpha or Campus Crusade or Young Life or something like that. I know they call Campus Crusade crew now, but whatever. It might be that you want to join a ministry like that and participate. It might be if you're a high school student that you join around the flagpole, even if you're one of just a handful of students that join around the flagpole to pray. Pray. It might be this morning that if you work in an office that you're willing to lay your Bible on your desk because people are going to definitely ask you what's that there for, but you just are willing to demonstrate in some way that you're not conforming to the pressures of this world. Now, if you're in a company or a business, and I have to be honest with you, there are some companies that I have talked to based on what I'm doing now. They, they don't want to deny other people of their religious faith because they're minority groups, but because Christians are supposed to be of the oppressing group, they don't want any expressions of Christianity. And it's been my privilege to tell them what I've told you. The overwhelming majority of believers are not in America, they are outside of America and Canada and Europe. As a matter of fact, every Christian gathered in all of Europe today, Western and Eastern Europe, every Christian gathered in Europe would not begin to compare to all the Christians gathering secretly to worship in China today. So don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be a jerk. If you get persecuted because you're a jerk, that's your own fault. If you get persecuted because you're doing things that you should be ashamed of doing, that's your own fault. I was out on the line of one of the plants here locally. Some of the men talking to me, one of the auto plants, and we were talking about faith, and they brought up, well, this one says he's a Christian, but he does this and tells that and tells the same stories. And, of course, I bite my tongue. I want to say, 
please don't use that as an example of being a Christian. But what I do, I said, let me tell you what a real Christian does. They love Jesus. They're faithful to their wives. They're faithful to their husbands. They love their children. They raise their children. They love their enemies. They bless their, all men. This guy, he will cuss you out. And he's a deacon at his church. Or this one says he's a preacher. See, if you get persecuted because you're a jerk, God has no obligation to protect you from that. Don't get mad at God. But never be ashamed. Never be ashamed of Jesus. Remind myself of how God blessed me when I was his enemy. This is why we bless our enemies and we pray for our enemies. We don't ask God to destroy them. We want God to knock them on their bottoms with conviction. Amen? I know what you're thinking. That's the reason I use that illustration. I want you to be praying, God, knock them on their back ends. So they go, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine Saul going like that to Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, Saul, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. The people that you are murdering, the people you are persecuting, the people you are throwing in prison, you're doing that to me, Saul. You say, well, God could never. I want to tell you something. Your enemy is no meaner than what Saul was. Because there ain't nothing that will make somebody mean like religion. Remind myself of how God blessed me. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. So God says, Ananias, I want you to go pray for Saul that his eyes will be healed. God, Saul's my enemy. Ananias, I've chosen. God, you don't understand. Have you ever told God he didn't understand? God, you don't understand. He's persecuting your people. He's throwing them in jail. Ananias, go pray for Saul. Ananias went on faith in the word of the Lord, for he says, Saul, God has sent me to pray for you. Wouldn't it be amazing if God took your enemy and made him your pastor, made him your missionary, made him your mentor, for that's what Paul became to the New Testament church. And then prepare to be blessed. And I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but... <clears throat> Jesus says, if you want to live a blessed life, be willing to be persecuted for doing what's right. And then bless your enemies, pray for them. And I want you to look at one last deal before we close in prayer and have communion. The Christians in Pakistan compromise or comprise only 2.5% of the total population. A mere fly on the wall in this officially Islamic nation. 97% of Pakistanis are Muslims. The Reverend Munawar K. Rumas Shah, a Christian leader in the northern city of Peshawar, reports on the government-endorsed social and economic suffocation of the Christian community in Pakistan. Pakistan's anti-blasphemy laws pose a constant threat for Christians. In addition, Ramashallah says in his province alone, local mobs have publicly urinated on Bibles and closed four churches. However, despite this overt hatred toward Christians, Ramashallah isn't bitter. 
Instead, he works for better relationships with his Muslim neighbors. He views the persecution as an opportunity to display Christ's love to others. Even militant Muslims like Al-Qaeda members. Ramashal summarized how his church responds to persecution. Would you read this out loud with me this morning? We clean the wounds of those who hate us and those who would kill us. Would you stand with me? And leave that up on the screen. We clean the wounds of those who hate us and those who would kill us. We've had Assemblies of God churches in morning worship in Pakistan and Afghanistan bombed. You're not hearing about it in the press. You're not hearing about it from our politicians. We've had Assemblies of God pastors watch their families being slaughtered. And I'm speaking because this is an Assemblies of God congregation. The same could be said for our Baptist friends. Same could be said for our Lutheran friends. Same could be said for our Anglican friends. Same could be said for our Catholic friends. Yes, we're experiencing tremendous pressure to conform. We're experiencing tremendous pressure in this country right now. But let us not call it persecution. But let's unite with our persecuted brothers and sisters in prayer. Our Saturday prayer services should be filled with people that are doing more than playing on Saturday night, but take one hour to pray. Our small group should be filled with people preparing themselves. Our classes need to be filled again. And our altars need to be full again of people touching heaven, praying for and blessing our enemies and not cursing them. We do not know what the future holds, but at this time, there is a war that is going on that is global. Satan is defeated, but this is the last writhings I believe with all my heart of the pits of hell you say, why is the devil so mad? Because you're God's child. If you want to see me get angry, mess with one of my children. Mess with my wife. There's no better way to hurt me than to mess with my family. If you want to see me get angry, mess with this church. Ask one pastor in our community that said some bad things about our church. Mess with who I love. If you want to see God move, if you want to hurt God, you mess with God's church. Hell has been defeated. Now if the church will only pray and give, there is nothing impossible to us. God has blessed us like he has to squander it upon comfort. God has blessed us to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Now, Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves wholeheartedly to you. Awaken us to the need and the pain of the persecuted church. Awaken us, O oh Lord, to those subtle pressures that sometimes we've been tempted to give in, to conform. Help us to be light that shines in the darkness. Salt, Lord, that preserves the rotting ways of this world, Lord, preserves it for godliness. And may you convict those who do not know you yet 
that God, they will not gamble their lives upon the changings of a culture, but that Lord, they will cast their lot in with Jesus Christ. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you don't know Jesus yet as your Savior, this is the time right now. Now is the time. Now is the day. This is the moment to commit your life to Jesus Christ. This is the moment. God is dealing with your heart. You haven't watched this long for a message this intense. But God's calling you to give your life to Him. Now you know I haven't told you a nice, fluffy little story and invited you into something that doesn't exist. I've told you what could happen if you give your heart to Jesus. But you and I both have sinned. and We've fallen short of God's glory. We need to be saved. Would you ask Christ into your heart today? You say, how do I know I'm ready, Pastor? Because you want to do it. You're even asking the question, how do I know I'm ready? That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. So just pray like this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I haven't lived for you, but you loved me and died for me anyway. I haven't cared about you, but you loved me and you died for me anyway. And you rose to new life. I believe that. And I don't understand it all, but come into my heart. Come into my life. I want to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for those who prayed with us this morning? You may be seated as Corey comes to lead us in communion today. As we prepare to take communion, I just ask that you would refrain from peeling back the, the cup until after we finish praying so that we can agree together in prayer, okay? In Romans 5:10, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God of the work of Calvary, I thank you, Lord that Jesus' death changed everything and his resurrection proved that he is the Son of God. And Lord, as we hold this bread in our hands right now, we are reminded of what it represents. It's Jesus' body which was given for us. God, that while he was being beaten and whipped, God, we now can receive healing. And God, I'm so thankful that your love reached down and sent Jesus to that cross to pay a grueling price because you loved us. Let's break the bread and partake together. And God, as we hold this cup in our hands, we're reminded that this cup represents the, the blood that Jesus shed at Calvary as well. God, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus, the sinless one, took on our sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. And we are now righteous because of Jesus. And so, God, I thank you. And Lord, as we hold this cup in our hands,
God, we just pause to say thank you. We know what it means. We know what it represents. We know the price that you paid because you loved us. And because you loved us, we now love you. And so thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. God, we do thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we do thank you for your death that brought us life and that one day you're coming back for us and one day we will spend eternity with you. But Lord, as we are here, we pray, God, continue to be with us and let our light shine in this dark world for all to see and to see who you are in us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we are so glad that you're here with us today. And if you prayed that prayer with Pastor today, we have a little gift, a, a book that we'd love to give you. If you just go out these center doors and stop by the booth there they're called The Crossing um, and just ask for that book, we'd be glad to give it to you. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, we have that book as well. And we want to send it to you for free and it'll help you in your next steps. So if you would email us at info at woodland.church and let us know you prayed that prayer, we'd be glad to send it to you and be praying for you as well. Also, don't forget to give as you're leaving today. Take those communication cards and place them into the offering as well. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.